This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker here. Chris Brown's on vacation, so we are pleased to welcome in good friend of the show, uh, CBS Sports draft analyst Chris Terpasso. He's going to be with me here today, tomorrow and Friday, I think, yeah. right? All three, the rest of the week. It's going to be fun. we got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff going on in the NFL. Thanks for coming in, Chris. You, you were at the draft with us. We had you on the show over there. What do you think? You've been to the draft a bunch. What do you what the combine, not the draft? What do you think about the combine? Uh, this it's, year, it's always really fun uh, from a Bills perspective, and I'll get right into it. The wide receivers didn't really test as well as a lot of people expected, which probably helps the Bills. Some of those receivers could ultimately slip down the board and late into the first round, but. Great meeting up in Indy. It's great to be back here yeah. in the friendly confines of the studio. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it's good, except the the receiver didn't test well because maybe they stink. You yeah. Know? Now we got now we're stuck <laughs> drafting one of them. That's always the the question. But yeah, the, the the combine's a lot of fun because we touch base with so many people. Mm-hmm. You see all the people you know, and you get to touch base with all your CBS yeah. sports guys, um, which is you know something I always enjoy doing. But the the combine winds up. There's always a few things, and you know. Bryce Young is he big enough? Is he tall enough? He's the exact same height as Lamar as uh, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, yeah, which is shocking to me because Kyler Murray looks short. Yeah, he does. And Bryce Young is not only is he short, he's he looks skinny, thin, mm-hmm. um, two hundred pounds or not. I'll, I, it'll be interesting to see, and I know it, the answer. What's is he going to weigh at his pro day? Probably not. Yeah, he's hiding something. Yeah, I think he had a pretty big carb-heavy breakfast that morning to get up to 204 because, like you said, Kyler Murray looks short and compact. Bryce Young doesn't look like the same type of thickness. He's wispy. Yeah, he is. Oh, well. Yeah, so all that stuff happens at the Combine. It was fun. It was great to be there. Uh, A lot of stuff is happening, of course. Yesterday, Lamar Jackson was put the non-exclusive franchise tag by the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the Ravens have done this before. They did it with Terrell Suggs, Haloti Nada, Ray Rice, Justin Tucker, the kicker, all great players. Most of those, every single one of them, in fact, signed a long-term mm. deal before the next season was up. Um, and it, whether it was the franchise tag or the non-exclusive franchise tag, which this one is for, uh, for Lamar, I, it, it doesn't surprise me. We saw it coming. I mean, they had yeah. to do it. They weren't going to get a deal done. Lamar wasn't going to budge, and neither were the Ravens, so you had to do the deal. A handful of teams came out and said they were out on Lamar right away, which it's, I mean, there's some people on you know ESPN and some of the analysts are going, wow, this is unbelievable. How could they not? How could we do it that quick? It had to be collusion. <laughs> well, everybody knew it was going to happen. They were all ready for it. Yeah. I mean, you can't have – this stuff's planned out as far in advance as they can know. And all you got to do is say, well, if it's the exclusive – if it's the franchise tag and they go $42 million, we can't touch him anyway. If it's non-exclusive – do we want to give up two ones and guarantee him $236 bucks? I don't think so. Or maybe some of these teams are in that conversation now. Yeah, it's a pretty big price tag to have to pay someone and give up those two first-round selections for Lamar Jackson. He's former MVP, just turned 26 years old. Uh, certainly a lot of teams would love to have him on their roster already not have to give up that much compensation. My take from it originally was, or I guess right away, was that These things can change. Say you're one of the teams that gets left out of the quarterback market in the draft. Suddenly it's early May and you don't have your quarterback. You were hoping to get a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson or a C.J. Stroud. Then I think those teams will say, hey, maybe now we're interested in Lamar Jackson. 
once he signs that tag, they can ultimately tag and trade him. And I think that's ultimately what will happen with Lamar Jackson, unless because there's just not that much um, interest on the open market as maybe he expected, and he is representing himself. So this makes it even more of a unique situation. Maybe he does ultimately sign a deal with the Ravens. They've offered him contracts, but they just haven't had as much fully guaranteed dollars as Lamar Jackson wants. So certainly a fascinating situation and one of the biggest dominoes at the quarterback position if you're Lamar, this offseason. If you're Lamar Jackson and you're rep- representing yourself – it's a hard thing to do. It's a really difficult thing to do. It's not going well. Um, and this is with a team, this is with a well-run franchise, yeah. with a solid tenured head coach, with a with an ownership group who's been around the block a number of times with great players, good situations, bad situations, and they have always handled it in a stellar way, uh, the, the Ravens have. And this is no exception. I mean, they're trying to get this done. Both sides have agreed to keep the specifics of the negotiations private, which seems to happen. Nobody knows what's going on. There's been conjecture and guys think, well, I found this. And nobody knows. And credit to the Ravens for sitting there standing back because there's been times when they look bad in this. You know, when they're not signing him, can't get a deal done, and nobody knows, and they get just as much blame as Lamar does. So if it's not going well with the franchise that's, historically been run as well as the Baltimore Ravens it's not them it's you yeah and what's really I think even more fascinating about this is the timing of Lamar Jackson playing his best football came in year two 2019 when he won the MVP you can't uh, even talk about a new contract until you're in year three in the NFL since then Lamar Jackson has been a probably top half of the league quarterback at times he looks elite sure other times he looks like maybe he's You know, a top 20 quarterback, there's injuries kind of thrown in there. So it makes this really a murky situation where you could say, hey, look, this is a former NFL MVP, but it happened four years ago now. And I think that's kind of why we haven't seen the Ravens just say, hey, you write your own check. We'll pay you pretty much anything you want. Um, And and it's someone that has to be brought back to the organization like the Chiefs did with Mahomes, the Bills with Josh Allen, Joe Burrow's going to get that big deal, right. Justin Herbert. I don't think there'll be any situation uh, or, or any similar situation with those quarterbacks as there is with Lamar Jackson. The one thing I'll say from the combine that really fascinated me, their GM, Eric DaCosta, uh, talked about how he likes to have a lot of extra picks in the draft. And you look back at Ravens drafts, eight, nine, ten picks almost every single year. The uh, former GM, Ozzie Newsom, really taught him that. This year, they're going right now into the draft with only five selections. And to me, it's kind of like the elephant in the room. You can trade Lamar Jackson and get some, not just few extra picks, but probably multiple first-rounders, maybe even a couple of second- and third-round picks that I think would be very valuable. At that point, you then need a quarterback, which kind of make things you know, pretty difficult for the Ravens organization. But you're right. This has been a team that has been well-run since they've been in Baltimore, you know, been a perennial playoff team. And to see them not um, extend their franchise quarterback, I do think is pretty telling. Yeah, and I, and I get it. Um, there's, and there's those, those out there who say, hey, the, the Ravens haven't supported Lamar. I, I disagree completely. I think the Ravens did more for Lamar Jackson when he they made him the starting quarterback than any rookie has had the afforded has been afforded in recent memory any 
Yeah, they built that offense around him. That's exactly right. They yeah. brought in Greg Roman because of what Lamar did well. Now they're firing Rick. Now Greg Roman's moved on the way because now what? It's, now it's Greg Roman's fault all of a sudden. Lamar was an MVP with Greg Roman yeah. as the offensive coordinator. Now Greg Roman's not good enough. Um, now you're saying, no, they don't throw the ball. One of, oh, so they no, so Greg Roman and none of those guys know enough how to throw the football. Now that not and it's not Lamar's fault. Um, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Now maybe they're going. They brought in uh, the new offensive coordinator whose name escapes me right now. Here, oh, Todd Monken. Todd Munkin. Yeah, Georgia. Georgia. They like to uh, run the ball too. Right. I get it. Uh, what are they going to do if it doesn't work with Todd Munkin? Yeah, um, I think at some point you do have to, as the quarterback, say, "Hey, look, maybe some of our passing deficiencies were because of me." And Eric DaCosta, the GM, was asked about the lack of wide receivers. And what's funny is, is that he said, hey, look, we've drafted a lot of receivers. They ultimately haven't worked out, and they've been injured. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson is a very good quarterback. Do I think he is deserving of a top-of-the-market deal being the highest-paid quarterback in football uh, that should get more than the Deshaun Watson $230 million fully guaranteed? No, I don't think that, but a lot of times it, it, it matters more about when you become a free agent that you can get that big deal. That usually matters more. Yeah. Throw in the injuries it is why things are a little bit murky right now. And here's this. the thing, too. If, it's, if this is all about the guarantees, yeah. I get it. Lamar wants to be guaranteed the money, and the Baltimore Ravens said no way. Mm -hmm. I get that. That's If you're not going to sign a deal, if it's not 100% guaranteed, you don't want to sign it, don't sign it. But if that's, the, the, get, if that's the, the gist of it, okay, I get that. But if it's about I'm a better passer than you're giving me credit for, you haven't supported me. Uh, or if, the, if, on the other hand, if the Ravens are saying you're too nicked up, you're injury prone, we don't know if you can actually hang in there for a full season – that's different than it is yeah. saying, listen, it's all about the guaranteed money, which I think at this point, I think we're down to that. Yeah. It's got to be the guarantees that are the issue. Yeah. I don't think the, I think the Ravens really like Lamar. I think they like him as a leader, like, the, like what he brings to the table, all that. They, certainly they'd like him to throw the ball better or, and all of the stuff that everybody wants their quarterback to do, mm -hmm. and everybody wants their quarterback to play better than he did, throw fewer interceptions, throw more touchdowns, run from whatever. Yeah. They all want that. But I think they like him, and they're ready to go forward with him. And I'm sure that there has been some money thrown around that most of us would go, wow, I would have taken it. Or maybe not. The yeah, I think that Watson deal that Watson deal really threw a wrench into this contract. I think Joe Burrow's contract, Justin Herbert's, because a lot of these quarterbacks are gonna say, Hey, look, now Me the too. now the top of the market is two hundred and thirty million fully guaranteed. And what is so interesting, and I'll never forget this, right before Deshaun Watson signed and was traded to the Cleveland Browns, the night before Adam Schefter came out and tweeted, the Browns are out of the running. So I think someone on Watson's camp said, you guys are out unless you blow us away with an unprecedented offer. It was going to be down between the Falcons and the Saints. And ultimately the next day, the Browns do this ridiculous thing with all the off-field stuff with, with Watson and give him a contract crazy, yeah. w way higher than what we saw from Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes and Josh Allen. So that really throws a wrench into this because the Ravens, everything that you laid out with the Ravens, I think is spot on. And now, like you mentioned with Jackson, it's all about the fully guaranteed dollars on this deal. Yeah, I, I think that it, it needs to be whatever the numbers are. He wants it 
100% guaranteed or mm-hmm. he wants whatever Deshaun got. Um, interestingly enough, I wonder if the Browns would have had things been different, given the money to Lamar if they'd have had the chance. Ooh, I hadn't thought of that. Would they have given Lamar $236 million to come over and play for the Cleveland Browns? Especially in the, the, the interesting. Too. That's the interesting question. Uh I don't know that I don't know if they would have. They maybe they would have. My thought was that maybe the Browns said, let's as a last ditch effort to sign Watson, after it's leaked out that we're not in the running, let's give him this huge deal that will make him happy and also throw a wrench, like I just said, into future quarterback contracts. For yeah. Joe Burrow in the division, Lamar Jackson in the division. I mean, maybe that's like thinking too far ahead. They do have an analytics-based owner or uh, GM in Andrew Barry. That was something that I thought maybe they were like yeah, pitching this like to ownership yeah. and saying, let's like kind of make things worse for other for our in-division quarterbacks and those deals that are coming up in the next couple of years. You don't buy it? No, I don't. I I'm not giving them that. Much I think credit. it'd be a smart thing to do. I mean, it it certainly ruffled the feather. Ruffle the feathers of a lot of owners, but Smart now this is do, what the reality is. Except it's not working. Yeah. Well, Baltimore's not interested. Now, but then he's going to be gone. Maybe. And I, yeah, and that's might what I mean. Be in I Pittsburgh. Think, yeah. Oh, he could be. You know, might be in. You know, might be someplace else. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. You're not getting rid of him. He's not going away. Um, and you still, <laughs> this just in. You're still the Cleveland Browns. True. With Deshaun Watson, who stunk last yeah, year on his guarantee. Good guaranteed 30 million dollar whatever yeah so you're you do whatever you want Mm -hmm. you can say that all you want the fact that you gave that contract if you gave that contract to a guy knowing it was an outlier and an idiotic contract thinking it was going to hurt other teams what are you doing well I think that's there's some talk of that and that ownership around the league was not very happy with Jimmy Haslam. Of course they weren't. To sign off on that. Of course they weren't. Yeah. But you think the Browns did that so they could stab all the other owners in the back? Come on. It's got to be about – anybody knows it's got to be about your team. If they're telling you they're playing chess by signing their guy to this big deal, come on. Maybe they didn't do it on purpose, but maybe now they're like, oh. this is, yeah. Th- yeah, this is like, hey, look. Look what ultimately became of this. We've taken a lot of flack for signing Deshaun Watson to that deal, uh, you know, with all the off the field stuff that was really bad. And now a year later, they're probably not happy with it. And I think they would have probably taken Lamar Jackson over Watson at this point at the same deal. But now, again, it, it makes things more complicated with another team, their division rival in the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, I think that's a step too far for me. I'm, I mean, I get it. It's, you know they may get some benefit from it by getting Lamar Jackson out of their division, but there's nothing that says anybody's going to match that or mm-hmm. not match it or, um, or anything else happening. So, and Joe Burrow's not going anywhere. No. Um, and quite frankly, your own team still stinks. So you can do all that you want. Tearing down <laughs> other teams is not the way to improve. No, I agree. So, uh, yeah, I think that's just, they're just trying to take credit for something that they got lucky on. Um, if indeed Lamar is not there. Other th- and now, having said that about Lamar Jackson, we'll wait for that to him. That's in really the intriguing story um, that's going to go on um, because of, you know, there's two people. I think Lamar really likes Baltimore. The Ravens have really liked Lamar. They've had some success. He's, he's 40, 45 and 16 as a starter. I mean, they got to like him, but that's mm-hmm. regular season. Yeah, He's won one playoff game. Um, and he's been hurt the last two years significantly. 
They're two and eight without him. So don't tell me they they built it around. They didn't build it around him. Yeah, they did. I mean, they did. If they he's did. not there, it crumbles. So there's all of that going on. The New York Giants gave Daniel Jones 160 million dollars over four years. 82, or I'm sorry, 45 million of it. No, I'm sorry. 82 million of it are, is guaranteed yeah. over four years. Plus, there's like 30 million dollars that he could max it out with uh, in incentives. What are your thoughts about the Daniel Jones contract? 15. Here he was. Here's his numbers: um, 67% completions, 15 touchdowns, five interceptions. He ran for 708 yards and seven TDs on 120 carries. So he had a nice, well-rounded mm-hmm. year, if not, and he was not spectacular. Yeah, those are modest passing numbers by today's uh, quarterback standards. If you look at the deal, it's really all of that money is in the first two years. Uh, I think it kind of insulates Brian Dable and Joe Shane that they know what their floor is on offense, that, okay, they're going to get around 15 touchdowns, five interceptions, good running ability with Daniel Jones. Uh, they've built up the offensive line. They franchise tag Saquon Barkley. They're going to probably yeah. try to add into the receiver group. And then in two years, the contract really skyrockets, and he becomes super expensive. And how you look at that, if you're a Giants fan or just looking at it from an outsider's perspective – Either in two years, they let him go and they don't really have much dead cap at all. Or if somehow Daniel Jones becomes an unquestionable top 10 quarterback, then they'll be okay within 2025, 2026, paying him a gigantic cap number in the third year of that contract. So I don't think this takes the Giants out of maybe peeking around the quarterback market in the draft, but it just keeps their floor relatively high. They know they can get right. to a playoff game and maybe even win a playoff game um, like they did this past year with Daniel Jones. Do they think that he's the savior, that he's the guy for the next 10 years? No, and that contract ultimately says that. Yeah, and that by getting that contract done, that it was said, too, that that's the reason that the Giants could give the franchise tag to Saquon Barkley. That's $10 bucks, mm-hmm. um, just barely over $10 bucks, And they can keep both of them in, in-house. And Saquon, I think Saquon is just as important as Daniel Jones, even though he's a 26-year-old guy uh, and, he may, and he's been injured in his career. He was healthy fully last year for the whole year, and they leaned on him, and, and he came through for them. I don't know that he's going to be able to do that again. We'll see. Uh, he has shown – a propensity to, to go down and go down hard mm-hmm. in seasons. Uh, but to get Jones done allowed them to do that to Saquon Barkley. And, and the Giants look to be – they're going to kind of run it back and see if they can get back to the playoffs using that same formula. Uh, Geno Smith, $105 million, $40 million guaranteed at signing, $30 million in incentives. Pete Carroll, a head coach of the uh, Seahawks, said, you know, you got to tip your hat to Geno. He bet big on himself. Um, and he won last year, and he's betting again this year. And if he does it and he plays well, there he's going to make a lot of money. He's he's and he's got a lot of money guaranteed here in this deal. His uh, forty million dollars at signing. Uh, the quarter they're starting to line these guys out yep. now, right before free agency, and teams are getting their ducks in a row. And uh, and Geno Smith earned it, I think. Yeah, I think Geno Smith, from a passing perspective, was more impressive than Daniel Jones last season. They they put more on his plate. They asked him to throw the football more. I think Brian Dable did a great job with Daniel Jones kind of keeping a lot on his plate. They didn't say, hey, you know, 
you need to throw it 40 times a game. Geno Smith, the big-time throws, threading the needle through a tight window, I saw that a lot more frequently. I think we all saw that. Um, Leading them to the playoffs, no one really expected that. Before the season, it was like, this might be one of the worst teams in the NFL. They could have the first overall pick. And Geno Smith with two rookies at tackle, with Tyler Lockett, who's getting up there in age, DK Metcalf, um, a defense that was so young. Geno Smith was a big reason why that team got to the playoffs last season. So I think that was well-deserved. And what a crazy NFL career Geno Smith's had. From being in New York City, um, didn't get picked in the first round of the 2013 draft, stayed overnight to come back in round two, everything that happened with the Rex Ryan Jets, um, bounced around the league, kind of felt like this journeyman backup, and then into his early 30s has a career season and gets this big deal. I'm happy for Geno Smith. Certainly a well-deserved contract extension. Then, of course, we had a lot of fun right at the end of the show yesterday as it came out that the Jets hierarchy were flying out to California to meet with Aaron Rodgers. And Brownie said you could picture the Jets walking up and Aaron Rodgers in the fetal, in the uh, lotus position <laughs> on a rock on the beach, you know, welcoming them. With Woody Actually, there were some social media posts where Aaron Rodgers went to the airport, met those guys, and met with them. They're coming back. Mm. And Aaron's not on the plane. I don't know what that says, uh, but if I'm the Jets – all I want out of Aaron is saying, listen, can you give us two? Can you give us three? And if not three, can you give us two years? Yeah. And that's all I want to hear from him. If he'll say yes to that, I make the trade happen. Yeah, and, and I think at this point, if we're going to say Lamar Jackson, that is such a, a challenging situation to kind of sift through and, and understand where that will ultimately um, end up. If you're the Jets and you're GM Joe Douglas, who's been there for multiple seasons now, they have not made the playoffs. I know he's had good drafts. Last year's draft was outstanding with the offensive and defensive rookie of the year. you got to start winning and making the playoffs. So they're almost like at this point with Derek Carr, and they were courting Derek Carr. With Derek Carr signing with the New Orleans Saints to reunite with his former coach Dennis Allen down there in New Orleans, suddenly you're like, we need Aaron Rodgers, or are we going to land with Jimmy Garoppolo or hope that Ryan Tannehill gets cut. You need to do a full court press to bring Aaron Rodgers here. I think he's scarier in the AFC East than Derek Carr. But at this point, Aaron Rodgers has all the leverage with the New York Jets. And the Green Bay Packers have a ton of leverage to say, hey, we want a a huge draft pick compensation package to bring Aaron Rodgers from Green Bay to New York. Yeah, I I agree. No question. Um, I'm – I'm making that happen if I'm the Jets. Yeah, I think I think to. it's a great I think it's a great move for them. I think he upgrades them immediately. They he, they're a better football team roster from the quarterback down, mm-hmm. uh, even without Rodgers uh, in comparison to Green Bay. Uh, I think that that's interesting. That the Lamar Jackson saga, this Aaron Rodgers thing, we're going to see some we're going to see that happen pretty quickly. I think uh, if it does happen, so that's kind of fun to watch. Last thing, this I came across this. I want to see what you think about this. So, Aaron Rodgers in the NFC North. Green Bay, Minnesota, Detroit, Chicago. And I, I'm going on record as saying Detroit and Chicago are the reason Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers are in the Hall of Fame. I mean, they're, they just, they're non-competitive at times. Mm-hmm. With the exception of this year in the Detroit, and they caught a little yep. lightning in a bottle, their, yep. their offense kind of caught fire. I read this. The Chicago Bears are $100 million under the cap. Yeah. And if... The CBA were worded differently. The Bears would be in danger of not having spent enough money on their payroll to get the cap floor. Mm-hmm. They they calculated over the last three years. That makes the Bears eligible. 
they didn't get there this year. So that means they've got to spend over the next couple of years to get there. Now, it's a lot of money. Now, you know, if they like um, Field, Justin Fields and they're going to sign him, that, that'll help. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to be enough unless they give him $236 million per year, <laughs> right? So the Bears, aside from all this cap, the Bears are $100 million under the cap. Insane. And – and I, the guy, Andrew Brandt, who used to run the Packers, mm-hmm. he said, listen, he goes, every team gets a check for $400 million before they even turn the lights on. Yeah. And the Bears are $100 million under the cap. And you kind of start wondering, what are they doing? I mean, what's their, do they have a plan? And then it dawned on me this. The Bears are trying to get a new stadium going. Yeah. And the Bears, the McCaskey family, whatever else they're into, the Bears are their thing. That's they're in the industry. They don't. They're not like Robert Kraft, who was in packaging, and and David Tepper, who was in you know the hedge fund, and you know all these other yeah. owners who came to the NFL. Yeah. They are one of the old families. You know, they're from the Hallis family. Mr. Hallis's daughter is married to McCaskey. All right, so so this is their thing. So they've got to save up to pitch in to get a stadium built, and they've already option to land north of Chicago, northwest of Chicago. Arlington Heights. Yes, yeah. Arlington Heights at the raceway. They've already kind of optioned that land. So that may be a an, an inkling of where they're headed for that. But they're think about have your how hard has it been to be a Bears fan, first of all, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Now look at it. It's even more difficult. And usually we don't see that in the NFL that uh, a team is this far under the salary cap, a hundred million dollars. They have a bunch of draft picks. At that point, if you look almost every year at the teams that don't have a lot of cap space, those are the teams that are usually the best teams in football. Whether they're paying a young quarterback, a veteran, they have um, you know brought in some high-quality free agents. Uh, if you're $100 million under the cap, I don't care if you're the best drafting team in the league, you are at a significant disadvantage, and I think – Tying back to Aaron Rodgers, that's certainly helped him even as he's won these multiple MVPs late in his career. Yeah, and it's it's amazing to think about how wide-ranging you are. you got like a team like New Orleans who's a, a gazillion They're dollars always kicking the can over, down the road. Yeah. over the cap. The Bears are million, have $100 million of cap space. Uh, they have zero top-end markets, um, contracts, veteran contracts to deal with. No quarterback to pay yet because Justin Fields is only coming into his third year. I mean, all that stuff is, you know, speaks to a team that somebody's making money over there. Yeah. And and it's, you know, it's not the players. Yeah, and, and with the whole stadium aspect of it, it's kind of like the gelling of one side of running a franchise where if you're the owners, you're probably first and foremost thinking about that stadium deal. We've certainly seen it here in Buffalo. If you're new GM Ryan Poles, you want as much – draft capital and money to build your team into a quality roster. So that could be maybe some, you know, two heads kind of banging each other and saying, Hey, look, like we want to save money for the stadium. But then the GM saying, Hey, I need to build this team up entering year two as being a GM. Steve Chasker, Chris Trapasso. We're going to take a break right here. We're going to come back. We've got to talk about one more free age. We're going to talk about Tremaine Edmonds in the next segment about what we think may happen to him, how important he is to the bills, what he's done for the bills and why it looks like, he may not be back, uh, good or bad. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso on Buffalo Bills Radio. This is One Bills Live. 
Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso. We spent the last, uh, the first segment of the show talking about it, the stuff's going on with Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers, uh, Daniel Jones. Um, and we kind of want to get back and spend a little bit more time talking about the Bills issues with Tremaine Edmonds and um, wanted to focus on Tremaine and not and not throw Jordan Poyer into that mix because those are the two prominent free agents that may go away mm-hmm. uh, just because of the finances of the league and where the Bills are and the, and the positions they play. I, I have said here... Chris, that I think, I think Tremaine may sign the biggest off the ball linebacker deal in the history of the league. He's a free agent. He's twenty five years old, just coming into his prime. He's he's a six year veteran in the league. <laughs> Crazy. He's led a top five defense four out of the five years he's been or five out of the six years he's been there, and has he's a you know he's a difference maker. Um, He's been the guy in the middle of that defense since the day he was drafted when he was 19, for the record. He's a physically bigger, longer athlete than most guys who play the position. And when teams play the Bills, he's a problem. Now, he's been polarizing for Bills fans because the one thing, if you can say you know, something about him, one thing you got to say is he, he doesn't seem to be instinctive. Go get the ball, see the ball, get it, that kind of thing. He just doesn't read and react. He does what he's supposed to do all the time, which is not a bad thing. It just leaves some plays out there for Bills fans, some plays that seem obvious even to a casual fan, Tremaine misses or perceived to be missed. Having said all of that, the Bills would love to have the guy back, and I know there's a ton of interest for him. Yeah, I think they're going to offer him a pretty big deal, but to your first point, I think it's spot on that he is – probably able to get the biggest off the ball mark or off ball linebacker contract on the open market and look no further than who's at the top right now. Roquan Smith, the Baltimore Ravens, same draft class, uh, has not been as good as Tremaine Edmonds. He was good in Chicago, not great. It was kind of the same deal. Like he was nationally viewed as a, a quality player at the second level. Bears fans thought, okay, he's good. He's not great. Gets traded to the uh, Baltimore Ravens last year and was lights out. He's not as big as Tremaine Edmonds. He's not as, as good in coverage as Tremaine Edmonds. So, and he's older than Tremaine Edmonds. So I, I think, would Edmonds love to re-sign here? Probably. And are the Bills going to offer him something that is competitive and that makes sense in most situations? Yes. I think Brandon Bean, being his second draft pick in that first round in uh, 2018, right after Josh Allen, the 16th pick, Yes, he would like to retain him, and it's not going to be a low-ball offer. But because of all the points that I just laid out, the comparison to Roquan Smith at $20 million per year that is at the top of that market now, I think Edmonds can point to a bunch of different reasons why he should get more than that. And maybe a team like the Chicago Bears will ultimately say, hey, look, we just lost Roquan Smith. Let's sign you, Tremaine Edmonds, to a much bigger deal. And at they that got point, the money. We just talked yeah, about it. They, they have the money. money. And at that point, for as good as Tremaine Edmonds is, and I think you did a good job laying out kind of the whole scouting report on him five years into his career, you're right that he's not as in, as instinctive as Matt Milano, doesn't make as many splash plays, and you're already paying Matt Milano over $10 million per season. So then if the Bills do re-sign him, over $30 million per year at the linebacker spot in today's NFL. I know Sean McDermott loves linebackers um, from his time in Carolina with Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis and Shaq Thompson. A lot of good players at that position. But in today's NFL, 
you got to be able to rush the passer and cover. And I think linebackers matter, but they might not be as valuable as other positions as Brandon Bean has to try to navigate building this roster with that big quarterback contract on it. It just might not make fiscal sense for the Bills to have over 30 or close to $35 million tied up at linebacker. Yeah, you think – listen, not for nothing, Milano's the one who was all pro. Yeah, true. Uh, And they're getting him for 10 a year. Tremaine's not an all-pro. He's going to get – Double up, that. Up, uh, yeah, he's going to get upwards at least – I think the Bills would probably offer him 15. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. I don't 15 know. 15 to 18, I but think. But he's going to get more than that. Yeah, he is. And he's going to get a ton guaranteed. Um, never misses any time. So, I, you know, it's just – for everything he's done for the club, and, and I get it. I mean, the, it's not like he's – you know, hasn't done anything, or the club hasn't done anything for him either, True. but no question about it. Um, that is a guy I think Tremaine Edmonds is probably signed in the first 12 hours of free agency. Yeah, right away. Yeah, I think that we'll probably get a word as soon as the the tampering period opens up, mm-hmm. the two days before it, it actually signed a contract. We'll hear words about and it. And I'm actually kind of like the perfect person to have on for this, being a draft guy, not saying that I'm always right with these uh, right. evaluations, but the perfect – idea that I think what the Bills will ultimately have to explore is going the draft route at linebacker. And it's easy. Tremaine Edmonds, like you said, he's been the quarterback of the defense since he was 19 years old in 2018, has not missed a lot of time, has become a very good player. It's easy for a front office, coaching staff, and fans to kind of have this connection to this player that's been there for so long, played so many snaps like Tremaine Edmonds. But there is a draft. There's always good linebackers in the draft. Tremaine Edmonds was just a guy in the draft that no one knew, a 19-year-old in 2018. Jack Campbell from Iowa is a name to know. Um, Very similarly sized to Tremaine Edmonds. Very good in coverage. And he's going to cost probably one-sixth of what Tremaine Edmonds will ultimately get on the market. This is the time of the team-building process that, again, Brandon Bean has to navigate and say, all right, I can get someone at – 15% of Tremaine Edmonds' money, who's going to give me more than 15% of Tremaine Edmonds' production on the field. So the Bills, their scouting department, Brandon Bean's been flying all over the country all season to watch these players. Trenton Simpson from Clemson is super athletic, was a big recruit there. Diane Henley um, from Washington State, also very athletic, good in coverage, big linebacker too. There's guys out there in the draft that are way cheaper. I'll say this. If you want to know the guys who have – the best chance of getting drafted as an as an off the ball linebacker by Buffalo, um, you got to start with guys like Jack Campbell because uh, because of their traits. Yeah, traits. he's six five and two thirty plus. Well, and he tested well. You're, they're looking for guys that don't look for the guys that are six five two seventy five because those are linebackers edge rushers. Mm-hmm. You're looking for a guy that stands up over the middle of the ball uh, and looks at the quarterback. Covers tight ends. Covers tight ends. Yeah. Runs down the field. Um, so there's. You know, there's some guys out there, but if you're looking for a guy that the Bills would like, that's where you start. Look at how high they, how tall they are. Yeah, and that's, they want guys with some physical traits. Yeah, they've certainly kind of uh, had this prototype that it's physical traits, it's athleticism, and I think to throw in again to kind of go back to Jack Campbell, who I think could be a first or a second round target. Um, he checks those boxes, but he's also a good football player too. Right. And and that a lot of times with some of these other picks, with a Dawson Knox, with a Spencer Brown, even a Gregory Rousseau, the Bills have 
had faith in the traits, but with Jack Campbell, you get size, you get athleticism, and you get high-level production against the run and in coverage. And then suddenly, he's giving you 80 to 90% of Tremaine Edmonds at a much lower cost. By November, Bills fans are not really thinking about Tremaine um, right. Edmonds anymore. That's how That's it just right. works in, in the NFL be. today. All right. So, yeah, and so I think both of us kind of see the Tremaine Edmonds thing. It's just a question of, time we're just waiting till March 17th to see when that yep. happens and where he goes and and who's really interested it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see one of the other things I want to get to right before before we take this break um you got this you got a Mac you just released a mock draft yes I got to talk about it because it's great I I love this season because of the mock draft stuff and this mock draft and this is the <laughs> this is the best part you say okay this is what it's going to be like if Aaron Rodgers gets traded to the New York Jets mm-hmm. If Lamar Jackson goes to Atlanta, if yes. Atlanta puts in the offer on Lamar, sends the two ones to Baltimore and gets Lamar in return, and Jimmy Garoppolo goes to the Raiders. Josh and, McDaniels tie. Yep. And right, and Ryan Tannehill leaves Tennessee and goes to Baltimore to replace yep. Lamar be Jackson. Stop be the stopgap stopgap guy. So if all four of those things happen, Rodgers, Jackson, Garoppolo, and Tannehill, if all those moves happen, this is where your your mock draft goes. Interestingly enough, it and then there's some stuff going on at the top of the draft as well. Uh, round one, you've got the Colts trading up, taking Anthony Richardson as the first pick of the draft. Not Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, the trait guy. Yeah. That, to me, is really interesting because I, I will always call it now, in the current point in history, I'll call it the Josh Allen. It effect. is. A guy who doesn't seem to be able to throw the football accurately is, is – is, uh, Completion percentage isn't what you want it to be at the college level. He didn't dominate, but he's got elite physical traits, and he wowed some people with his physical testing at the combine, and that rockets him up the board. And they say, "Well, why not? Why can't we have this guy be our Josh Allen?" Yeah, uh, just to speak on this quickly to summarize my thought here: Colts head coach Shane Steichen, their new head coach who they just hired, um, was in Philadelphia the last two years. And he didn't have someone with the athletic and physical traits of Anthony Richardson. He's a pretty rare guy. He's the closest thing to Josh Allen that we've seen since Josh Allen entered the league in 2018. But he did help develop Jalen Hurts into an MVP candidate. A lot of design runs, uh, a lot of RPOs. Is Jalen Hurts a quarterback that is going to read coverages and be pinpoint accurate? No, but he's gotten by and become one of the league's better young quarterbacks under Shane Steichen because of those athletic traits. That's why I think the Colts will prefer Anthony Richardson over Bryce Young. And here's one of the things you got to remember, too. This is also one of the benefits you've gotten from guys like Pat Mahomes and, and Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, is the fact that with the athleticism and the ability to run, and the way the Giants used Daniel Jones this year, mm-hmm. their ability to run gives you more ways to get first downs and keep the guy on the field and have more success as a team when the guy's really not ready to throw it every down. Now, you get a guy like Joe Burrow who can drop back every throw, and he, he's ready for that, or Justin Herbert even, yeah. who's a little better than that. Even to this point, the, the Chargers never ask Herbert to run the football. Mm-hmm. He'll scramble once in a while. But having a guy like Josh Allen, uh, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, um, you can name others who you know who can scoot around and, and teams use them that with Kyler Murray, it gives you a, ch- a bigger margin of error in your offense so that you can give the guy more time, be successful earlier, show the guy can actually play and what he can do to the casual fan and the ownership so they say, okay, all right, I see it, let's go. And, and keep building around him rather than coming in like a Zach Wilson and 
absolutely having it all go up in your face. Yeah, and I think offensively, in terms of schematics, you can just do a lot more. You can say, hey, look, you're not ready to be this 40-attempt-per-game quarterback. Let's have you run the ball a little bit. Let's run that quarterback power that we've seen with Josh Allen or quarterback sweep. Um, And then for the quarterback himself, we saw it early in Josh Allen's career before he really took that step in 2019 and then the big leap in 2020 – when he didn't like what he would see after dropping back, what would he do? Take off and run. It happened with Deshaun Watson. It happened with Russell Wilson. Um, all these athletic quarterbacks, as they are learning and acclimating to the speed of the NFL, they lean on their legs early on and pick right. up those first downs in critical situations. So, not for nothing, so we talked about the guy first pick of the draft being Richardson. Who you've got the Bills taking is Rasheed Wa- Rice, wide receiver out of SMU, 6'2", 203. Um, a wide, big, big wide receiver, big body Physical. wide receiver. What about him? So he jumped 41 inches in the vertical. So at his size that you just listed, that explosion, that was the one concern with Rasheed Rice coming into the combine. How explosive is he? Is he a little bit slow? He ran 4-5-1, which seems on the slower side, but at 6'1", 6'2", 205 pounds, he's one of the bigger wide receivers in this class answered the questions about his explosiveness and emphatically with that 41-inch vertical, he just feels like what the Bills need on this roster. They need someone that can play on the perimeter. He wins after the catch because he's kind of built like a running back. And those contested catch situations, you put on any game over the last two years at SMU, you will see at least one or two or three of those difficult catches in traffic made by Rashi Rice. Um, he's kind of different from a lot of the other receivers in this class that all measured in and weighed in a little bit lighter than expected. He is an NFL caliber body right now that would help this offense a lot. I wrote Rashi Rice, Rashi Rice. <laughs> Rasheed Rice. It's another name for Bills fans. Go back, check it out, look at his highlights on YouTube, see what you think about him. You can give us a call if you want, but uh, Chris Trapasso has Rasheed Rice from SMU going to the Bills in his latest mock draft. Um, Just one more guy to look at for all the Bills fans. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, It is International Women's Day. We've got a package. We'd like to show you that. After the break, this is Chris Trapasso, Steve Tasker on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. As we honor International Women's Day, we take a look at those right here on the Bills staff that are making an impact and paving the way for the future of women in sports and the NFL. Our very own player personnel coordinator, Andrea Gosper, joined NFL Network and details the conversation that led her to working for the Buffalo Bills and so much more. Here they are. And now we're celebrating Women's History Month with Andy Gosper, the player personnel coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Andy, a a busy uh, time of the year right now. You just got off the plane from Indianapolis, but that's where you got started with the Bills. Tell us about the conversation that led to you uh, being a Buffalo Bill. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to attend the Women's Career and Football Forum in 2019. Um, I went there, got to meet so many amazing women, including those of us who are looking to get into the next level. And there I was able to meet with Brandon Bean and our then assistant general manager, Joe Shane, who is now the general manager of the New York Giants. And we kind of talked about how I could fit in, 
what areas I want, what areas I was interested in. And we talked and I got a call a few months later um, from Joe asking if I wanted to come on with him in the scouting department. And getting that actual call, Andy, because you had you had the, the opportunity. There were paths uh, diverging. You were actually on the field playing softball at the time. Can you take us through that moment a little bit? Yeah, so we were in one of our games and I played center field. So I was in I was in the outfield and I always keep my Apple watch on. I like to track everything. And um, I looked down. I felt it, felt it vibrate. I looked down and all I said was Joe Shade, Buffalo Bills. Now, I got really excited, so my, my heart was pumping. So once we got three outs, ran in, called him right back, and that's how it happens. Really crazy. And, and through the conversations, obviously with the Women in Sports Forum, there's so many different avenues, right, to become a part of the NFL. But that process, did that make you believe uh, that the Bills organization and the league uh, would be accepting of, of having a woman climb through the ranks and obtain whatever goal, uh, ultimately, that you want to accomplish? Oh, absolutely. You know, there were so many people there from different um, from different places and they wanted to go into different areas within the um, within the team. So there was people who wanted to go into scouting who were originally in recruiting. There were people who wanted to go into ops. There were coaches there as well. Um, we had strength. People wanted to get into strength conditioning. There were so many avenues represented in that one room. And it was just awesome to see, just meet everybody. And for me, it was awesome just to talk to everybody to figure out what I wanted to do. Because I came in not specifically knowing the avenue that I wanted to go down, just that I wanted to be in the NFL. And so now you're in this position where you're essentially coordinating the offseason and all the twists and turns uh, when it comes to college scouting, the all-star games. How do you even go about starting to plan these things? You just kind of go with it. You know, I had a great person in front of me, Tyler Pratt, who is now our Southeast uh, area scout. So I really just came in right behind him as an intern and he showed me the ropes. He walked me through everything and we kind of grew together. And so he's just been a great, a great mentor to me. I still call him now asking questions. What did he do in this situation? Uh, But yeah, he was really the one that showed me the ropes and showed me how to go. Well, Andy, congratulations. Uh, Looking forward to now going into season five uh, and all the twists and turns there. And good luck to you guys. I'm sure we're going to a busy uh, draft season. Thanks for spending time with us. That was Andy Gosper on NFL Today. And in honor of International Women's Day, you see there the photograph of the women that work here in the building every day. Um, It's a great atmosphere in our building. And I got to really tip my hat to Terry Pagula and Kim. Uh, and the executive branch of the, of the organization. Uh, the atmosphere here at One Bills Drive has been uh, inspirational to me. Uh, it's been great. Um, a great place to work, a great atmosphere, and uh, highlighted by the, the diversity and the women and men who work together every day to get things done. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, and Brandon Bean was actually part of the panel at the Combine, a league-wide panel about doing just that, about highlighting and empowering women in the NFL. So not every coach, not every GM did it, but Brandon Bean was part of that panel uh, mm-hmm. in Indianapolis, which was really cool. So thank you for that. Uh, congratulations to Andrea Gosper. Uh, and um, we're going to be back, take a break. One Bill's Live is going to return right after this. Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl, fresh off the Combine. We're going to get his take on what some of his players that came out of the Senior Bowl and what they did at the Combine. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. This is Buffalo Bills Radio.
This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso here. Pleased to be joined now by the president and director, uh, top guy at the Senior Bowl. Uh, Executive Director Jim Nagy joins the show. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Chris Trapasso, Steve Tasker here. And I got to say, we just got back from the Combine, and we always go through this, but this year it really seems like the Senior Bowl, the thing that you run and kind of get off the ground – really seems to be one of those things that top prospects need to check off their list. The the displayed desire to play in that game says something to NFL scouts and head coaches that really goes a long way for a lot of these players. Is that true? Uh, I hope so, Steve. I hope all the hard work we've put in over the last five years is starting to to get that way. I mean, the Senior Bowl has been a great game for a long, long time. Uh, you know, I, we've had 181 first round picks since the year 2000, no other all-star game has had one. So, you know, it's been a great game. I just think we've utilized social media, um, to try to connect with these players, helping our recruiting. Uh, you did see it a lot more at the combine this year. I heard it a lot more at the combine, uh, and even the combine coverage. Um, you know, you would have thought I paid DJ to in, in Rich Eisen to, uh, drop senior ball a bunch, but we didn't. <laughs> Uh, but no, there was a lot of clips of senior bowl practice and everything. And I do think back to your point um, of, you know, just put myself back in the NFL and trying to really gauge like how many, which, which of these guys love football. I think it's getting harder and harder for these clubs. And uh, I think when the guys come to the senior bowl and are willing to put themselves out there, that makes a statement, man, that they, that they really love it. And then they, you know, in guys that play in the game, uh, we lost some guys the last couple of years that didn't, didn't want to play in the game. Uh, but you see your you see your way through the entire week. I mean, you're making a clear statement to these NFL teams um, how much you love ball because it, I mean it's important right now, and it's also important four or five years from now when these guys reach free agency and these teams are these teams are trying to figure out okay what, what's what's going to happen to the work ethic part of it once we pay them right. And Steve, I know you had teammates. Uh, you saw this a lot when you were in the league. Guys get paid and their their production drops off, right? Their work ethic drops off. So right. I think I think these guys are all making a statement when they come to Mobile. Yeah, Jim, follow up to that. Uh, me as a draft analyst, first and foremost, I'm always fascinated by the job that you and your predecessor, um, Phil Savage, did finding these Division three FCS, Division two guys uh, to bring into the Senior Bowl that don't just play well during that week of practice, but ultimately become really good players, Taron Johnson being one of them here in Buffalo. Can you kind of just summarize how you and your scouting department starts really early and, and is able to find someone like a Kyle Duggar or a Taron Johnson um, and, and – ultimately can identify that they're good enough to be in the senior bowl, but also good enough to be quality NFL players once they're drafted. Right, Chris. Well, first of all, man, I, we, we've never uh, met face to face, but uh, you do a great job with all the draft stuff. I got to say that oh, thank before you. we get going. I love, love seeing your stuff. Um, yeah. Spencer Brown's another one up there in mm-hmm. Buffalo from Northern Iowa a couple of years ago. Yep. Uh, I'll say this. It's about relationships. Uh, you know, and Phil was in the NFL a long time before he sat in this chair. Uh, and I was too. And again, we're not going to, we're not going to be able to dig out the Quinn miners out of Wisconsin, Whitewater, or Ben Barch from, you know, division three school, St. John's in Minnesota without help from buddies around the league. Now we'll, we'll start every year. And we've already started the process for 2024. We'll look at all the returning starters at the FBS level. Um, that's kind of where we start, but for those lower levels, 
we go through all American lists and all conference lists, but, but a lot of times it's a phone call. A lot of times it's a phone call from a buddy that you've been in the league with a long time. Like, you know, Hey Jim, you better, you better take a look at this guy from, you know, Lenore Ryan, uh, for instance, so that the Seahawks combine scout, uh, Ryan Florence, um, who I was in Seattle with, he's the, he was the combine scout that went into Hickory, North Carolina for the first time and saw Kyle Duggar. Um, and he's like, man, I just did, I just measured a kid that's 6020, 220 pounds. And he just ran four, four, three for me, Jim, you got to take a look at this guy. (laughs) So, um, yeah, sir, we really lean into our relationships quite a bit. So I got, I got to give the NFL guys a lot of credit for helping us. One of the things that makes the senior bowl different, particularly for coaches, not just scouts, but coaches is the practices. I mean, the coaches are down there. They're standing there watching these drills, and certainly there's a staff that's running these guys through their paces. But being able to listen and to watch these players practice up close tells guys who do that for a living a lot about these players. The Bills, since 2017, the Bills have taken 16 guys in the draft from the Senior Bowl. That's 43% of the guys that the Bills picked in the draft are from the Senior Bowl. They also signed four unrestricted undrafted free agents from the from the uh, senior bowl it really the atmosphere that you create and, and, and i want to ask you this i know the players are a big part of it getting those guys to you know which players should be there can you get them to play who's going to coach the game is a lot of it but there's also something else about the senior bowl that makes it special and that's the atmosphere on the field during the week how do you how do you you know cultivate that to make it exactly what you want it it's just hyper competitive. Um, and these teams are trying to see these guys in the really competitive moments. I'll give the bills a lot of credit, man. They, they come down here in full force. Brandon beans down here every year, uh, down on the field in the middle of these drills. And again, it's the little things that you can't pick up on the college tape. It's, you know, when you're up in the one-on-one O-line D line drills, right? Like that's just an example. Um, those guys go back to back reps. So there's, there's usually a winner and a loser. Now you, you want to see how a guy bounces back. You're reading facial expression. You're reading body language. Um, you're seeing the offensive line coach pull a guy like Spencer Brown aside, give him a coaching point before the second rep. And you're seeing if, how quickly he can apply a coaching point. So there's so many great takeaways. Again, as a scout, as a front office, you're always looking for things you can't see on the college tape that you get uh in senior bowl practices and just the competitive environment i mean it is juiced up down there um these guys are coming from all over the country and um they all are trying to prove themselves i think that's the biggest thing for me in this role um i i didn't realize like the leveling of anxiety that even the big school guys the sec level guys they're they're down here trying to prove themselves too um so yeah i mean that's it's a great takeaway for all those guys and i i give guys like brandon and I mean, Mike Tomlin's a fixture. I mean, Mike Tomlin's up in the middle of just about every single drill down here. So um, the guys, that are the teams that really roll up their sleeves and dive into it, um, I think some of the takeaways are invaluable. All right. I would kick myself if I did not ask you some specific prospect scouting questions. Two players that I really like a lot, I think would be good fits in Buffalo. I want your take. Wide receiver is kind of the – uh, most marquee position that Bills fans, I think, want Buffalo to address at some point in the draft, probably earlier rather than later. What can you tell us about two guys in quick summary? Jaden Reed from Michigan State, who I know had a good week down there in Mobile, and Rasheed Rice, the guy that I just mocked to Buffalo in the first round after what he did, jumping 41 inches at the Combine. Yeah, you know, the Bills got Khalil Shakir 
um, from down here last year and, and just talking to those guys. I think they're really excited about what year two is going to look like for Khalil. But yeah, Jaden Reed's a guy that we've had our eye on for a couple of years now. He was he was a junior graduate last year. So we thought we were going to be able to get him. We thought he might come out. He stayed in. So we've got really a, a long body of work on Jaden Reed, three years of work. Um, and in receivers, a dependent position. I mean, the guy wasn't even even the most productive receiver numbers wise at Michigan State this year. But he comes down here. He looks quick and fast, um, a really nuanced route runner, can get himself open. To me, I think he's a starting slot right away um, for whoever drafts him. I think he's going to be a day two guy, probably in the third round range. That's where we've kind of had Jaden over the past two years. Now, he wasn't being talked about that a lot in the media prior to senior bowl week, mm-hmm. just because of the numbers. But I think now he is. I think he's back. He's being talked about where he should be. Um, and then Rashi, you know, again, the combine was big for Rashi because um, you saw the explosiveness. You saw the, I mean, whatever, low 4 4 40, 40 inch vertical jump, great contested catch guy um, at SMU. That's really what you like about him when you watch the tape. I mean, he's, he plays big and strong when, when people are around him. Um, SMU's cranked out some really good receivers over the last couple of years uh, with like Danny Gray, James Prochet. Um, there's, there's been a number of those guys that have, have went to the league and done well. So, Rashid's kind of the next in line. I, I do feel like he needed a good combine, and, and he delivered. He, he did a really nice job in Indy. So you've sat there, and you, you kind of you meticulously craft these rosters from college guys all over the country. You see them come in there. You watch them through the entire week. You kind of nurse this thing from start to finish. Is there, are, is there a handful or maybe a couple of guys that you saw come into the Senior Bowl, maybe from East Nowhere State or wherever you want to pick, you know, and <laughs> and go to, and now you're seeing them. You, they, they came to the Senior Bowl and killed it, and then they went to the Combine and killed it. Are there any of those guys that, you know what I'm saying, you're, that turn into your favorite of the group that nobody else knows about? Yeah, you know, I, I'll actually pick a couple guys that didn't get Combine invites. Why don't we do it that way? You yeah. know, like Carl Brooks is a defensive lineman from Bowling Green. Um, had a great year for him. I think he hit double digit sacks. I think he was a 10 sack guy, uh, Bowling Green this year. Now you watch the tape. They play him on the edge of bunts. He's playing on two feet. Um, doesn't have his hand in the dirt and you watch him and you think he's like 265 pounds, 275, 270. Look, kind of looks like Boogie Bashamish from like a body type perspective on tape. And then, you know, their head coach, Scott Leffler is a, a, a buddy of mine from college. And I hit him up in November. I'm like, Scott, what is this Brooks kid weigh right now? And he was 293. Whoa. So you're t- he's got movement skills that kind of belie his size. And you can move him all up and down the front. Now, senior bowl week, he played nose. And he got pressure on the quarterback from the nose tackle position. So he's a versatile rush guy. Didn't get a combine invite. I think he ends up going in the fourth or, fourth or the fifth round. And then another guy is Marte Mapu from Sacramento State. Um, and now I, I will point the finger at us. We, we didn't do a good job on, on Marte. He was, wasn't really on the radar coming into senior bowl week. And he goes to the NFL PA all-star game and has a great week out there. He was the, he was the big sky defensive player of the year, kind of a linebacker, safe, strong safety tweener, kind of Kyle Duggarish, if you will. Um, and he came here at 270, 17 pounds and just played downhill in the run, in the run game stuff. Um, got his hands on a bunch of balls in the past game stuff. Um, and again, we didn't get him right. You know, we weren't on him enough. Um, and I'll credit the Dane Vennernet at the NFLPA game for, for digging out Marte from Sac State. And now I've heard some stuff like third round. He, he might end up being a day two guy as a non-combine invite. And the, the last guy to go that high was Kevin Byard 
um, who's right. become a Pro Bowl player in Tennessee. That's the highest drafted non-combine guy. So those are two guys that, uh, you know, weren't in Indy that, you know, I don't think will be there after the fourth or fifth round. Yeah, I want to ask one more question uh, um, about the safety position because we've talked about Tremaine Edmonds. We've talked about receiver. The Bills probably are going to lose Jordan Poyer uh, in free agency this offseason, or there's a good chance of it. Uh, two safeties that – and this is, again, going back to your scouting background in the NFL. Kayvon Merriweather and Daniel Scott. How do you now as the director of the Senior Bowl look at these safeties and, and say, hey, look, maybe one of these guys – has some warts in terms of his refinement, his tackling ability, but he's a great athlete compared to someone that maybe like Kayvon, um, that's not quite as athletic. I know the Bills with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, they've had two very cerebral, instinctive safeties for a long time. They have to move forward and kind of draft that next safety at those, or at that key position in the NFL. What did you see with Daniel Scott and Kayvon Merriweather kind of being different types at the safety spot? Yeah, Daniel's been one of our favorite guys over the last two years. Now, he, we didn't we didn't extend an invite to him last year, um, and he went back to school. And, and a guy that used to be on our scouting staff, Zach Boshin, is now the DPP at Cal. Um, and he he let us know he's like Nags. One of the big reasons he came back, he wanted to, he wanted to get that Senior Bowl invite. Um, and the biggest thing with Daniel going going backwards a couple of years was was a play strength issue. Um, I, I use the term dishraggy a little bit. Like he, he, he slid down some tackles. He fell off some stuff, um, came back this year. And you could tell um, even when he was just in shorts and t-shirts at the combine, the work that Daniel Scott has put into his body. I mean, this dude is a physical presence. Now we've always loved his range. Um, you know, there, I think finding free safeties is harder than finding strong safeties. Yeah. You might agree right. with that, Chris. I'm yeah. not sure, but right. um, he's got range in the back end. He's got eyes when he plays from depth. And he's got ball skills. And those guys are, those guys are to me, harder to find. Um, and he tested off the charts. And then he ran 4-4-5, four, four, did all the jumps. I mean, he, his three-cone was 6-7-something. He was off the charts that way. And then Kayvon was a guy that, uh, you know, we watched Riley Moss, uh, the corner at Iowa, pretty closely the last couple of years. And, uh, and you know, Kayvon was a guy. We, we set up cross-checks in our scouting system where guys from outside the area, if we get draftable grades in, we have another scout on the staff cross-check those guys in addition to myself. So for all these guys, we have at least three looks on all the players. And the guy that we had cross-check cave on was Walter Jula. So Walter's like one of the most senior scouts, probably the dean of scouts right now in the NFL. He worked for the Cowboys for 30-some years. He went to Oakland. He was Mike Mayock's right-hand guy. Kind of, you know, got let go with the Raiders. Um, we were lucky to have Walter for probably one year. He'll probably be back with the team next year. But he thought Kayvon was the best tackling safety he saw this year. Mm. So that gave us real conviction that Kayvon's a good player in, in run support. And you say, like, athletically, like, he didn't run a great 40 time, ran in the four sixes. But Kayvon was a guy that had, you know, Division One basketball offers out of, out of high school. He actually was was thinking about playing basketball at Western Michigan before he got the Iowa football invite. So the, the Iowa football uh offer so yeah those those two guys are very different um but that's kind of that's kind of our background of both of those guys oh when you look at this draft and the way it's coming down you've seen most of the high draft picks and the and the top-notch prospects coming down this this uh, to this draft we've started getting uh, some information and some some projections like mock drafts and all this some people have this as a maybe a four top 10 quarterback draft class 
or maybe four guys go in the top ten. We've also heard a lot of scuttlebutt about the tight ends being a, a lot a high draft class in tight ends. And then yesterday we had a guest that said he thought there may be six, as many as six offensive tackles go off the board in the first round. What are your thoughts on that, this being that kind of draft for not only the quarterbacks, which are always a little bit elevated in their draft status, but the tight ends and the offensive tackles being such a hot commodity in this draft class? Yeah, and I'd say I, I would add the corner class uh, in there too, is the corner class, especially since Senior Bowl. We had, we had some guys down here show up big time that, that I guess surpassed our expectations, my expectations personally, like Julius Brents from Kansas State, um, Darius Rush from South Carolina, those guys have got themselves into day two. They probably weren't day two guys before Mobile, they, and they both went to India and crushed it as well. But yeah, I think the tight end group is is a good class this year. I think there's a a lot of guys, a lot of combo tight ends, a lot of guys that can block and and run routes and catch the football. Um, that's a good class. Uh, the quarterback thing's going to be interesting. We saw some teams wait on quarterback last year. Uh, with like Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, those guys, even up into the week of the draft, I was talking to teams around the, the league that thought both those guys were going to be uh, first-round draft picks, and they slid to the third. So we'll see. You know, there's a lot of Will Levis talk, Anthony Richardson talk in the top ten right now. I think Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are, are locks in the top ten. We'll see with those other two guys. But, uh, you know, and maybe even Hendon Hooker could sneak up there in the first round. But, yeah, certainly tight end is, is a good class. I agree on the tackle stuff. I, I, I think the early narrative was that this wasn't a great offensive line class, and I think it's proven to be, you know, senior bowl week. I think a lot of those guys showed out and at the combine as well. So, Steve and I could sit here for hours on end talking about the Bills, but to have a national media member uh, come on, I, I always want to ask, how do you view the Bills' biggest draft needs? I know free agency will change things a little bit. And if you were in the Bills scouting department, how would you try to attack this draft, understanding positional depth, saying, hey, look, like maybe receiver, we can get someone that is probably the fourth or fifth wide receiver off the board later. How would you attack it in those first couple of rounds um, if you were a scout for the Buffalo Bills, again, understanding this draft as a whole? Well, Chris, you're catching me a little off guard with the team needs for the Bills. and uh, You guys are the experts there. Um, I will say you, you really – the best thing to do when you're in a front office is really dig into the depth. And you're going to have to see, okay, where do we, where do we maybe need to, to strike early? Um, and where, where, can, where is the depth reaching into day three? Um, I do think you're going to be able to get some tight ends in the fourth round if you need one there. Um, I think you're going to be able to get some good corners there. I mean, there's – there's certain positions. Now, offensive line, I think there's going to be a run. I think uh, you look across the league this year, it wasn't just Buffalo. <laughs> Excuse me. I think there was a lot of teams that struggled on the offensive line. So I think a lot of those guys are going to get pushed. Uh, I think you're probably going to have to take those guys pretty early. But you're putting up some good names right now on, on the screen. Uh, yeah, a lot of the, all those guys, top 50 players. I think all those guys are safely top 50 players right now, the way I'm looking at it. Um, you could, I think you could see 10 of those guys maybe go off in the first round. That's a position you probably will have to get one early if you're going to want like a high impact, uh, right away starter. I think that's the group you're going to have to dip into. All right. I'll give you a softball after that difficult question, Jim, (laughs) how many first rounders from the senior bowl are you and your staff expecting to hear their name called in April? Well, the last four years we've averaged seven, um, 
And in looking at this year's crew, I think there's probably seven to 10 or 11 that realistically could go. Not saying they all will. Um, you know, it, it, it depends on how it falls. But I think there's, you know, where our class has probably hurt a little bit this year, there, there isn't a quarterback, quarterback. unless – Unless Hendon goes, um, you know, sneaks in, someone tries to get that fifth-year option on Hendon Hooker. Um, but, you know, I, I think the offensive line class, I think the D-line group, um, you know, I think that's where we're going to see most of our guys. So I think it's probably going to settle somewhere around that where that average was a seven. Jim, thanks so much for spending time with us. Congratulations on another great year, a great addition to the Senior Bowl. And we wish you all the best, and we'll catch up with you in the future. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Jim Nagy, Senior Bowl Executive Director. He's also an ESPN draft analyst, spending time with us here. Uh, the work they do at the Senior Bowl, I mean, you think about the logistics and getting that all put together. It's unbelievable. And um, what a successful, another successful year for that. Yeah, and during Brandon Bean's press conference at the Combine, he spoke at length about how much they love the Senior Bowl. We've seen it, like you mentioned, with 43% of the Bills' picks since 2017 coming from the Senior Bowl. And that Jim kind of talked to the intimacy and the closeness that these GMs, scouting directors, and scouts, and even some of the coaches can get to these players and really learn how competitive they are, see them in what is kind of an uncomfortable setting but is a very challenging setting facing the best senior competition that college football has to offer. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso here. We're going to take a break and come back. We're going to talk about a, a handful of prospects who tested themselves at the Combine right into the first round. Of an article written by my buddy here, Chris Trapasso. We're going to talk about that right after the break. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso on One Bills Live. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso. We uh, just got off the phone with uh, Jim Nagy, who was the executive director of the Senior Bowl. Had a great year there, a ton of guys. And if you want to get an insight as to who the Bills are going to draft, look at that roster. Some of those, <laughs> some of them are going to be Bills players. Yep, 43% of the Bills draft picks in the Sean McDermott era have been from the Senior Bowl. They love that atmosphere down there. Nagy said it right. It's highly competitive, and these guys are down there because – a lot of them don't know if they'll ever get drafted or get a chance, or what, and they're, they're convincing themselves as well as the teams that they're worthy of it. And you go down there, man, the lid's off. Those guys are going hard at the Senior Bowl. trying. It, it's a real tryout for NFL teams who are standing 10 feet away. It's, it's a pretty unique atmosphere, and they maximize it at the Senior Bowl. And what's really interesting is that – so I've been down there like four or five times. What you just said is spot on in that – the week of practice, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that is probably as hard as you will see any two teams practice against each other <laughs> because there is GM after GM after GM, every scouting department in the league taking meticulous notes during the week of practice. We see in, in the one-on-ones with the offensive and defensive linemen and certainly the wide receivers and the corners and a lot of evaluation gets drawn from just a couple of reps yeah. so you can make or break whether you're a second rounder or a fourth rounder and really the difference in that can be millions of dollars a pro coach players. will tell you i've had i've had one I, a coach tell me here in buffalo years and years and years ago he said they drafted these two guys in the same position in buffalo he goes i could tell after 15 minutes of practice which one could play yeah for sure i could tell after 15 minutes which one could play and he was he proved was history proved him absolutely correct that's what happened they get down the senior bowl those guys can tell after 20 minutes of really looking at the guy watching him get watching him getting coached watching the reps watching how he reacts to a win to a loss 
uh, to getting embarrassed or if he never gets embarrassed, if he's always, you know, mm. they can tell a lot about a guy um, from those reps when they're right there. And because that's what they do. I mean, that's what they're good at. And it's hugely, hugely telling for these young players to go out there and do that. The 2014 Senior Bowl, the first time I ever went, Aaron Donald came into that week undersized second or third rounder and Cyril Richardson, who the bills actually drafted uh, in the fifth round out of Baylor. He was like the marquee offensive guard and it was going to be Aaron Donald against Richardson that week. Aaron Donald left senior bowl week as this guy's going to go in the first round. He was that dominant, that competitive. So for as much as I do like to kind of lean toward the film and the athletic testing numbers, the senior bowl definitely matters. And just hearing GMs at the combine, so many more are vocal about it. Now, how important those three practices in mobile are every single week. So you go down to the senior bowl, then you come back to the combine and there's always a bunch of guys who, you know, and, and none of us know all these guys. You do, you guys are professional draft analysts. You know, a lot more names than, you know, guys like me and casual fans. So when you get to the combine, you see these guys come up, okay, okay, who's this? You know, they all got the D-line, DL number 50, 40, yep. 40 or whatever it is, right? <laughs> yep. I don't know who that guy is. But they come out, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, look at this guy. Hey, look at this guy. Look what he did here. Let's see what he can do on this. And he's like, oh, my gosh. You know, so they, they, all five of the things that they test on or ten of the things they test on are like, look at this guy. So there are five guys that you picked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and wrote about in your article, one of them we've, we've kind of talked about already, Rasheed Rice, the SMU wide receiver. You mocked to the Bills in the first round, which I hadn't even heard his name until you mocked him today. Yeah, so every year at the Combine, there's at least five, probably closer to ten, guys that I say test into the first round, where you just look back at history. In round one, of course, every team is looking for a quality football player. But really, in the first round, it's more about traits and athleticism than anything else. Look no further than last year when Trevon Walker was the number one overall pick over Aiden Hutchinson. Now, maybe that ultimately was not the right decision for the Jaguars. Teams love traits in the first round. And Rasheed Rice, again, being six foot one, 204 pounds, that's pretty good size at receiver, jumping 41 inches. You like to be able to check off all those boxes if you're going to pick someone in the first round. And what's very uh, fascinating about this and very telling, the Bills love traits. Gregory Rousseau, when it came to size and athleticism and burst off the football, he checked those boxes emphatically, and I think that was a big reason, even though he wasn't a finished player, why he was a first-round pick. Josh Allen, Dawson Knox, Spencer Brown, um, all of these big-time athletes um, that really showed out at the Combine or at their pro days during the pandemic um, were ultimately Bill's selection. So I think Rasheed Rice, there's a bunch of other names um, who I think tested themselves into the first round. Yeah, it's interesting. You always, it's easy, too, to go back. When they get these measurables, these numbers on a page, you can go back and look at other guys. Who are, and Brendan Ayuk, an NFL player who is almost identical in abilities and measurables to a guy like Rice. Yeah. Pretty much the exact same combine at the exact same size. And Brandon Ayuk was the receiver picked right after Justin Jefferson, two picks later in 2020. Had kind of a slow start to his career, but he just went over 1,000 yards in San Francisco. And if you plugged Brandon Ayuk into this Bills offense with Stephon Diggs and the weapons that they have, Josh Allen throwing him the football, I think the Bills would sign up for that today. And now with Rice, again, 
the explosion was the one concern with him. That's not the case anymore. And it's not my opinion compared to Jim Nagy's opinion. It's we know 41-inch vertical is on the page. So then you go, and one of the things, too, is you and I have had this conversation off the air. The next guy on is Jameer Gibbs, the running back out of Alabama. Now, um, Bijan Robinson has also been mocked to the Bills. These two running backs, first-round caliber, uh, Bijan out of Texas and Gibbs out of Alabama. Um, Gibbs, 5'9", 200 pounds, 199 pounds. What, what happened to him that we, they didn't expect to happen that boosted him into the first round? He was expected to be fast, but I don't know if anyone thought 4-3-6 fast. And it, it was really on film between Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs to be the number one running back in this class. I still think most people, including myself, will have Bijan Robinson as the number one um, running back. But he's clearly not as fast as Jameer Gibbs or as explosive. They're both really good wide receivers um, out of the backfield. They were even used down the football field on wheel routes, um, just getting vertical, which I think you need to have if you have any chance to be a running back picked in the first round. I personally would not ever pick a running back in the first round. There's just too many talented players at that position in the draft. But Jameer Gibbs... If he and Bijan Robinson go in front of the Bills, that really bodes well for the prospects that will be available yeah. for Buffalo I've, at 27. I, I told you this too off the, off the Ain't no way two running backs are going in the first round. Because it's just that it's one of those things where I just don't think anybody values that position enough, particularly in the face of a free agent market mm-hmm. that's going to be flooded with. Guys who've proven it at this level, maybe not, you know, maybe they don't have the measurables that mm-hmm. Bijan Robinson or Gibbs have, but man, oh man, they're still quality NFL players and you can get them and you can depend on them to know kind of their way around the building. And, you know, they're going to be ready for a pro season more so than you might think a rookie at first round or not. I just, I just don't know that in the face of a free agent market, the way we're facing these days in the NFL that a first round running back is a thing. And that's what's so interesting because we're a week away from free agency that could totally change mm-hmm. that a lot of teams could fill that running back hole on their roster with a Devin Singletary or uh, a Dante Foreman who played really well for the Carolina Panthers last season, Raheem Mostert. There's all those names out there, but just looking at the history of those rare first round picks, they usually have to be great receivers and big time athletes. And we kind of thought, all right, there's BJN Robinson. He's the closest thing that we've seen to Saquon Barkley. Now Jameer Gibbs has kind of inserted himself with that 40-yard dash of 4.36 seconds at 5'9 and 200 pounds, which right. is pretty compact. Um, he's in the conversation now if some of the teams that maybe look at running back in free agency don't get one. Yeah. Now the next one you've got is a guy I, I liked ever since, since I heard about him, uh, Jack Campbell, the linebacker out of Iowa, and a 6'5", 249 pounds, big, tall kid, um, really – shows instincts of a middle linebacker. And if, it, and if it weren't for the fact that he plays middle linebacker, just like running back, you're right. I, I, I think there may be teams that would take him as a linebacker in the first round, even before the running backs. Yeah, especially because in this draft class, there's not that Devin White, that premier off-ball linebacker that is locked into the top half of the first round, which is usually the case. Um, the only real wart with Jack Campbell is that he has short arms and teams do obsess about those things. Um, When you're watching a linebacker, can they beat blocks or are blockers getting into their frame before they can kind of shed that block to make a play on a um, running play? 
Besides that, and I mentioned him at the top of the show, Tremaine Edmonds' size and similar athleticism to Tremaine Edmonds, and I think any team um, would have been justified to pick Tremaine Edmonds in the first round. The Bills certainly were. He's going to probably be the highest-paid linebacker here in a couple of days. So Jack Campbell is one that we had some questions, kind of like Rasheed Rice, about the athleticism, but he answered those questions at the combine with a great all-around workout. And then another one here, a uh, defensive lineman who's a, a guy after my own heart. He's a Northwestern graduate, Your just guy. like me. Uh, Addy Adabore, the defensive lineman on Northwestern. I heard about him, 6'2", 282. He snapped off a sub-4'5", 40 at 282 pounds. That'll so do it. They showed on NFL Network one of those simulcasts where they had like other players running from different years, and he was like running past – some tight ends and wide receivers at 6'1 and 282 pounds. Edibore, probably not a target for the Bills, although, you know, the Bills have prioritized those defensive linemen relatively early in the draft with Rousseau, AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham being second round picks. Um, this guy can play up and down the line of scrimmage at that size, 6'1, 282. Clearly has speed of a tight end, um, good pass rushing moves, and he's someone that is not maybe a finished product in terms of he's not going to come in and be a 10 or 15 sack guy right away. But like I mentioned, usually those last couple of picks in round one, teams are willing to throw a flyer on someone that just has measurables measurables and tested through the roof. And Edibare certainly did that. Uh, Another one at a position of need for the Bills, Sidney Brown, the safety out of Illinois. Where was he before this combine? Where is he now? He was probably mid to late second round pick. Um, five foot ten, two hundred eleven pounds, kind of built like a stocky running back. And you saw on his film at Illinois uh, that he did a good job covering running backs out of the backfield, tight ends down the seam, um, made plays on the football when he wasn't facing you know a six five or six six tight end in those jump ball situations. And like a lot of these players on this list, it was oh how athletic is he? How fast is Sidney Brown? Well, he ran four four seven. Had a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical, so he answered all those questions again about his explosion. I could see the Bills, if the draft board falls in a specific way, the receivers aren't there, the interior offensive linemen aren't there, they lose Jordan Poyer. Sidney Brown kind of feels like Jordan Poyer on film, where he's always around the football. A little bit more of a strong safety than a free safety, but again, now we know he has first-round caliber athletic traits at the safety spot. Good stuff, and I and I think it's important too to remember. I mean, no matter what you say about these guys, the Bills will have a file on them. Oh yeah, and a lot has. It, it's fun to talk about this stuff, but the future is impossible to know because we don't know what the roster will look like on draft day. Yeah. And if the Bills are all of a sudden have 15 offensive linemen under contract instead of six, that changes the equation on draft day. If they have six safeties on on roster instead of one mm-hmm. uh, with a corner that may play safety, that's a different matter. So you've got a lot of stuff, to, a lot of water that has to go under the bridge before you get to draft day. One thing I will say, though, it's it's this draft in particular, I think, is more – I don't want to say more important for the Bills because I think every draft is important, but over the last couple years with the way that Brandon Bean and the Bills front office were able to retain a lot of the players, Matt Milano people thought maybe was not going to come back, Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins. The last few drafts it was like, all right, they need some pieces here and there, but a lot of these guys are going to start their careers as depth players. There just weren't a lot of starting roles up for grabs. I think there's more so now than there were the last two years in Buffalo for a team that's a Super Bowl contender. So 
I would say all viewers, all listeners should certainly be paying attention to more of these early round draft picks that are going to be plugged in to key contributor roles as rookies. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso here on One Bills Live. We're going to be take a break here. We're going to be back to wrap things up right after this. This is Buffalo Bills Radio brought to you by Kaleida Health. This is One Bills Live. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso. Chris Trapasso in for Chris Brown. He's going to be here for the rest of the week. And we're today we, we're kind of talking about some of the draft prospects and you know mock drafts and where the Bills are and, and stuff that's going on with Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers and Geno Smith and the quarterbacks at the top. Um, it's pretty intriguing stuff. And we also talked about Tremaine Edmonds. Tomorrow we're going to talk a little bit about the free agent market and where the Bills might go in that wide receivers that are available, the interior offensive linemen that are available, offensive tackles that are available. There's like 25 or 30 guys that are you got to have on your radar if you're the Bills as an offensive line uh, option to bring in, and they probably will bring in a, a handful. And in the Brandon Bean era, he's really prioritized offensive line via the, the free agent route. I think he likes to have those guys that are established, that are what I call NFL strong. There was the one roll of the dice, Cody Ford, uh, early in the second round via the draft. That didn't ultimately work right. out. And I think there's always, for as much as – we hear and and say that there's kind of a deficiency when it comes to quality blockers in the NFL. There's always those lower level free agents that are available that become impen- or unrestricted free agents that Brandon Bean has been very aggressive to sign. Yeah, so, they, and they sign them to short term deals so they yeah. don't have you know not tied up any any cash going forward. Roger Saffold is an example of that, and even on the defensive line, we were talking. Jordan Phillips is kind of an example of that. He was very happy to be back in the fold here in Buffalo. Um, Mitch Morris has been, since he's been here, one of the biggest uh, biggest offensive linemen, yeah. most highly Signings. paid offensive linemen along with Deion Dawkins. But Mitch Morris has been one of those guys that they've redone his contract a number of times. Um, you know, so even if, you know, if, they re- if they can't even release him, and he's got a $6 million cap hit if they release him, and he's only making six-point something. So uh, Mitch Morris is not going anywhere. Um, and there's not really much they can do cap-wise to help themselves with him. Yeah, and I think with the narrative this offseason has started that the Bills have no money, they're still over the cap, we all know at this point they can restructure Josh Allen's deal, a few of the bigger deals to push money into the future, which is a um, way to kind of build your roster or to kind of uh, – adjust the books that every team in the NFL does. That right. You get these big extensions, you get more cap space. Right. I think personally that – diversifying your free agent money uh, is the better way to kind of fill those secondary and tertiary holes on the roster. I think look no further than last year where the Bills sign Von Miller. He's the one big ticket item. And for the first nine games, he was really as advertised and the Bills defense was amazing. He goes down another free agent signing. Jamison Crowder goes down in September Suddenly, the Bills don't have those pieces um, because they're on the sideline with injury. I think looking back 2019 with Cole Beasley and John Brown, even back in 2017, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, those were not splashy free agents. When you can sign 
five, six, seven, eight free agents, which I do think the Bills can do at lower level deals. It just diversifies your money a little bit where if there is an injury or one guy doesn't work out, you still have four or five other players who can ultimately become key contributors on your team. Certainly the Bills need depth and they're going to try and get that through free agency so that when the draft comes up, they can pick the best guy out there. Um, lots to talk about. We're going to get on with that tomorrow. Uh, also on tomorrow's show, along with Chris Tapasso and myself, Mike Gennetti from SpotTrack is going to come on with us. We're going to talk about numbers. Certainly the Bills have got some financial work to do to get under the cap and get cap compliant. We're going to talk about their options and some of the things he's seen teams do to help them do that. And he will be able to uh, let everyone know about fully guaranteed versus total guarantees. <laughs> and we're going to see a lot of reporting over the next couple of weeks about contracts that seem bloated and they seem way too lucrative, way too expensive. Mike will be able to kind of sift through all of that noise and tell us what matters more than anything else. All right, Chris Trapasso, Steve Tasker, thanks for joining us. We're going to be back at 1 o'clock tomorrow. Mike Giannitti from Spot Track. thanks. We're going to talk free agency, more Bills talk coming. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. Brownie's out for the week. We'll miss him. Good luck to him and his wife on their travels. We'll be here all week, and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 1.